Hi, I'm Emily Salaby, founder of Juno Jones, the stylish safety boot company, and your host on the Hazard Girls podcast here on Jacket Media. I'm so honored to host this show where I get to chat with Hazard Girls about their careers. Hazard Girls is an online community for women working in traditionally male-dominated fields. On our show, you'll get to hear from these amazing women about the path that led them to their current careers, challenges they've overcome, advice for other women in entering these industries, and more. Our guests today are Shannon Carrolls and Kathy Miller, the co-authors of Steel Toes and Stilettos, a true story of women manufacturing leaders and lean transformation success. Just a little bit about each of them. Shannon Carrolls is a senior operations manager who has led multiple lean transformations and run operations for two large publicly traded corporations across various industries and business models. She started her career in supply chain management and progressed through lean and operations leadership roles. Shannon holds a bachelor's degree in supply chain management from Western Michigan University and is the co-founder of OpSisters. Kathy Miller is a senior operations executive who has held numerous global vice president and director roles, both in manufacturing and lean enterprise leadership. Kathy is a Shingo Prize recipient for large businesses as a plant manager. She started her career in operations as a 17-year-old co-op student at a vehicle assembly plant and progressed through engineering, marketing, lean, and operations leadership roles, working for four large publicly traded corporations in executive roles. Kathy holds a bachelor's in industrial systems engineering from Kettering University, MBA from Ball State University, and a master's in applied positive psychology from the University of Pennsylvania. Kathy was inducted into the Women in Manufacturing Hall of Fame in 2021. Congratulations, Kathy. Thank you. Welcome to the Hazard Girls podcast, ladies. Thank you. Thank We're you. so excited to be here. Well, I'm so excited to have you, and congratulations on your book, which has an amazing name, by the way. How did you come up with that name? That was Shannon's brainchild. So Shannon, why don't you tell the story? Yeah. So as you read the book throughout the story, you'll learn that Kathy and I became very close friends and have remained so long after the story took place. And so we've spent a lot of time together. And one of the weekends we were spending time with our family, we were just reminiscing and discussing our current jobs and reminiscing about what we did together and how we transformed these plants. And we just thought, gosh, we we just have a really good story to tell. We did some great work and built these great teams. How did we do that? And so we just all of a sudden said, hey, maybe we should write a book. Maybe we can help other people. And then we went home that night and I came up with the title the next morning. I said, hey, here we go. Steel Toes and Stilettos. Let's write it. And then about a year later, we had the manuscript completed. Wow, that's so cool. So the thing about the name to me is that it is so on point right now. I mean, you know, especially in all of these communities of women in manufacturing, engineering, STEM trades, the message that everybody wants to get across right now is that you can be both, right? You can be both feminine, but you can also be strong at the same time. These are not separate things, right? Like you can be both and we are both and we celebrate that. And so I think the name really captures that and I love it. So that's very cool. And I'm excited to hear more about the book. Can you give us a little bit of an overview to start off? What is the book about? So first it's a guide on and a roadmap on how to go through a successful lean transformation. That's really the backbone behind it. So it can be read as that and as 
you can read how the process steps go through that. Now, it's more about the people and the why we do what we do in in a lean transformation versus the tools. So that's a little bit of a different twist on it. And then we really hone in on our non-traditional inclusive leadership styles that we use throughout that transformation, those three years we were together. And then lastly, it's a story of our lives. So, you know, real life doesn't wait for business results and manufacturing transformations and anything else that you're doing at work. So we weave in our personal stories and our friendship that grew and how we supported each other to be successful. And I bet that's what makes it a really good read too, right? Yes, it definitely reads as a story and a relatable one, we think, for a lot of women. Well, I have to ask, so our audience is women in all different industries. And some of the women that are in our audience really are just looking to explore learn about different industries and see maybe what they want to do as a career. And then some of them are you know, in various industries already in all different kinds of positions. So lean enterprise is a term that many people in our audience might not be familiar with. Can you explain a little bit about what it means and maybe just a little bit of background? Sure. This is Kathy. So lean manufacturing is based on the Toyota production system, which has been in existence for multiple decades. And one easy way to explain it is taking large batch operations and converting them to small lot operations. And what you're trying to do is build a system that's based on respect for the people creating value and flowing value at the rate of customer demand with the least amount of waste. So really it focuses on the people involved, but also a big part of it is the ultimate output reducing waste. And when you say waste, you're talking about person power and materials. What are you talking about exactly with waste? Yeah, there's seven or eight forms of waste that are classically described. So you've got waste of waiting, waste of material transportation, waste of inventory, waste of time, you know, all of those things that keep us from being able to provide that value to the customer in a streamlined way. And is this in some part an environmental movement as well, because it's about preventing waste? Yeah, it can be. So you, you know, scrap is a form of waste. So you want to produce products that are not producing a lot of byproducts that end up in landfills, as well as really making sure that everything goes into something that forms value, right? So yes, although it really didn't necessarily originate as a form of sustainability, there are a lot of benefits to it that can benefit that movement. Now, I understand the book is written from two different perspectives, each of your perspectives. Can you explain to us what those two different perspectives are? Sure. This is Shannon. So the one perspective is from Kathy's. She was responsible for the profit and loss of a multimillion dollar business. So while she set the vision and was driving the whole concept of the transformation, she still had all the other functions you know, to worry about sales, HR, finance, all of those things that revolve around running a business. And then Kathy brought me on board to really be that change agent. So my whole job was to work with every level of the organization to implement the transformation across the enterprise. So not just in the factory, but in the office as well. So we had every individual on our team involved in this transformation. So that was my role and my different perspective. 
And we tell a lot of stories that take place at the same time. But Kathy's <laughs> experience is very different at times from my experience. And so hearing that is a relatable thing for anybody who's been in our positions either way. Mm -hmm. And just being able to see when I would write my part, Kathy's like, I didn't know that that's what they said to you. I'm like, <laughs> that's because you're the boss. <laughs> So that's how it reads. So it's very different. And it was really challenging to make sure our vision came across from our different perspectives. Well, now I have to hear an example of this. How about the Tugger carts, Shannon? Why don't you tell that story? Yeah. So when we talk about Tuggers and Tugger carts, it's a motorized vehicle that helps you move material throughout the facility. And so we finally got the go ahead. We'd been designing these things and we had a person making multiple trips around the plant pushing like a little cart, right? So we're going to get all types of productivity. We're so excited. The carts arrive and I send an email to Kathy with a picture. And I said, they're here, they're here, look. And her response back was, I thought they were supposed to be yellow. <laughs> and I said, well, we ordered them in yellow, but they came in an orange. Mm -hmm. Aren't you so excited? She says, no, you have to send them back. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I was like, what, what? So then this follows an in-person conversation where I'm in her office talking about how ridiculous this is and we could get productivity gains right now and we were getting beat up on it from corporate, so on and so forth. And she just looked at me and said, send them back. And I'm pretty sure I stomped my heels in her office and turned around and walked out. <laughs> yes, you did. I remember it very specifically. I'm picturing it in my mind right now. And of course, I was excited that the carts came in and we were going to be able to move material throughout our operation in a motorized manner. But we had set the standard that material movement was going to be done with yellow vehicles and yellow carts. And I certainly did not want to vary from the standard, particularly since we had ordered them in yellow. You know, when we ship products that were not to specification, we always had to you know, get them back and fix them. So I didn't think that we should have less of a standard. Yeah. And that's why there's different people in different positions in a corporation, I guess. <laughs> it sounds petty, but it was, there were some no, very I, important I principles at play there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting example. So now who is the book for ultimately? Who are you writing this for? Is this for people that are looking to change the culture within their organizations? Is it for women only? Who's it for? Yeah. So all of the above. So women that are in or interested in a STEM or manufacturing career, we think would benefit it. Women in leadership, regardless of industry, because those leadership principles go across all industries, regardless of you know where you're at and what you're doing. Lean transformation leaders, regardless of gender. Anybody who's interested in following a roadmap on how to successfully implement those concepts. And then ultimately, anyone who's interested in achieving better results through building inclusive cultures, and that's regardless of any type of gender or, or stereotype. So we are really interested in working with those people who want to use respect for people as their foundation to grow their business and improve their results. What are some of the techniques? Because you mentioned some of the lean techniques. What are some of the lean techniques readers can learn for to improve results and engagement within their organizations? Sure. So we talk about, we go through a roadmap and it's ultimately about 12 steps, which include what we were calling like psychological safety, as well as lean tools in each process step. So we talk about, for example, building a foundation and you talk about 5S and building teams, cross-functional teams, data collection, 
developing a plan for every part so you know how to right size your inventory. But we also talk about why we do these things and how you bring the people along and what's challenging about implementing each one of those steps. Because it's not just a tool that you plug in and say, okay, now everything is perfect. We figured out how to size our inventory. It is a basket full of tools that you have to apply to each individual business. But the biggest impact is how you bring the people along and teach them. So we talk about plan for every part, how to balance people versus machines. We talk about how you flow material and information. We talked about the motorized tugger, for example. That's just one tactical piece of it. But a lot of it is how does that impact the people that are doing the work? What does that mean for them? So those are some of the types of fundamentals that we talk about throughout the book. And one of the common themes besides the respect for people and including them is basic problem solving, right? Taking people who traditionally just work with their hands and engaging their hearts and their minds as well. And at every step, problem solving is involved. And you get better results when you include the people who are providing the value, you know, instead of dictating, this is the tool and this is how you should implement it. What we want to do is explain to people why we're doing what we're doing and what we're trying to do and give them the freedom to come up with the how. So when a technique is going to be changed within an organization, are you saying that everyone should be involved in that decision around the table? How are you proposing that that be done? What's an example of how that could be done? Well, this is Kathy again. And well, not everybody, but you would put assigned teams in of the people who are involved in a process. And sometimes you would insert someone from a different area of the plant to have fresh eyes and look at it from a fresh perspective. But no, you wouldn't get nothing done if you had everybody looking at every problem. So, you know, you look at an area and teams mature over time, right? So at first you have the supervisor deciding what people are going to work on. But after a while and people pick up those problem solving skills, the teams become self-sufficient and say, look, we have a problem over here with scrap or we have a problem over here with productivity. How do we solve that together? And then you bring in experts if there's any roadblocks or skills that that immediate team doesn't have. Yeah, there's definitely a fine line between setting the vision and creating boundaries on, hey, this is where we want to end up. And we're going to give you all these tools and concepts of how to solve these issues and how to get there. So you've got to allow for some autonomy and engagement and empowerment of the people, but you can't waver from where you're going. So you don't want to allow just because a team doesn't like what you've said as a vision or like that piece of it or say this doesn't apply. There is a fine line between saying, hey, from a leadership position and a management position, this is what we're going to do. Now, how we're going to do it is going to be a group effort. Because otherwise, you're never going to get there if you allow complete you know, availability of people to do whatever they want, right? right? So you have to be able to set those boundaries accordingly. And how do you? I mean, and also, is it different as a woman in leadership, do you think, in setting those boundaries? I don't think it's so much about being a woman. It is definitely associated with the leadership style. A lot of times in manufacturing, traditionally, there's a command and control type style, Whereas an inclusive style is a little bit different. And so I think what Shannon and I have both learned through this process is 
you do have to set boundaries. You really do because you're responsible ultimately for the results of the business and taking care of the customer. So for example, one of the things that we would set boundaries around is the production control team would actually schedule the plant. So we would tell the teams, you can't schedule the plant because you don't have all the information and all the computer systems and all the things that, you know, come in from the customer. Not that we're hiding it, but it's a, it's like a centralized, right? Mm -hmm. All to itself, right? You have tens and hundreds of people, sometimes depending on, you know, how large you're looking at the forecast or those sorts of things. So what you want to do is take the applicable information and give it to the team and say, this is what we need to produce this week. But you allow the team to determine what order to produce those in. So because they know the best way to change over the equipment and get the material and that sort of thing. So that's an example of how you get different functions to work together but each of them contributing to their key piece. And, you know, we have heard of some organizations where they just turn the scheduling over, but that can undermine the other pieces of the system. Okay, interesting. Now, you've been advocates for the idea that lean transformation and an inclusive culture improves key performance metrics and enables a work environment that's safe and ultimately, of course, drives value for the customer, which is the ultimate goal. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So, and I think we keep saying this over and over again, but when you get the hearts and the minds of all the people involved in your organization, one, that's how you get everybody involved and they feel more valued as individuals. So Kathy and I have kind of built our leadership style off of building relationships through trust. So trust has to be earned. We recognize that. Not everybody gives their trust freely. So that's where the type of leadership that we have taken on is all about building relationships. And that starts with communication. So using every touch point with the people to teach them, learn from them, show them that you actually care about them outside of the product they may be making or their daily job. And the more we get to know people as people outside of their roles in an organization, the more empathy we build, the more camaraderie you build, the more that instead of looking out for just yourself, you start looking out for the individuals around you. And that builds engagement, trust, and you start to allow for changes to be implemented and accepted versus shoving them down people's throats and saying, we're going to change and you're going to love it. So we've really taken that approach and found that those inclusive cultures are really what not only allow you to move faster through a transformation, but you get phenomenal results at the end. And the biggest thing is that it's sustainable. Because in the long run, you don't want, you know, a leader to leave or, you know, move on in their careers or be promoted and then the whole system falls apart. So that's the piece of the inclusivity and everything else that comes in is that that whole concept and process that you put in place can be sustained and continue to provide positive business results that allow manufacturing to remain in the U.S. This is Kathy. If I could add to that a little bit, one of the key points to helping this be successful is to create an environment where it's okay to try things and not necessarily succeed. So what you want to do is encourage people to try things so long as you're not compromising quality or safety for 
your customers or your team members, it's okay to try things and fail. But what happens then is there's no blaming that goes on. You just share the lessons learned with people so that they know they can try other things. And when you've proven to people that it's psychologically safe to try things, the results really accelerate in terms of continuous improvement because people see that they're going to be valued for trying to change and trying to make things better and that nothing's going to be a catastrophe so long as you keep safety and quality in mind along the way. Can you think of any examples along the way in your career where that's happened, where someone has been able to try something, maybe given a little leeway to try something that maybe they maybe previously wouldn't have been uh, permitted or encouraged, but you saw that it was something that was beneficial and it was allowed? Yeah. I have a good example. It's a little technical, but we had a team in one of our plants and they were at the point of really trying to continuously improve. We've really, we've got some results. And so, you know, we had an inventory position in a work and process market and the team said, you know what? We recognize inventory is waste. We want to keep striving to improve. We're going to take that market away and we're going to try to just flow from one process to the next. So we did all that. And we started to miss shipments to the customer. And our sensei at the time said, I applaud you trying this, but did you set extra inventory aside just in case it didn't work to protect the customer? And we were, we said, no, we didn't. So, I mean, it was a major failure, like true positive, trying to drive this positive change for the organization. And we dropped the ball big time. So then we had to build inventory back up, get our shipments back in line and do all the things. And we told the whole plant, this is what we tried and it didn't work. And here's what we did wrong that we won't ever do again. Always protect the customer. And so it was a huge lesson learned. And, you know, and Kathy at the time, she just, I just will never forget. She just looked at us and said, you won't do that again, will you? And we're like, no, (laughs) we will never do that again. There was no punishment behind it. It was just, hey, that was a tough lesson we learned and we will never do it again. But you weren't made to feel like it was something you shouldn't have tried because you were trying something. Correct. And it wasn't like we were doing it haphazardly. We truly had thought it through and thought we were doing the right thing. And because of that, you're right. There was no punishment and it really allowed everybody to see like, oh, wow, okay, we really can try even if it doesn't work out. Now, you've been in multiple organizations. Have you walked into companies where the culture was a mess and been able to change it? And I mean, is that even possible? Is is culture something that can shift quickly with a new leader? I don't think it happens quickly. I'll be real honest. People in factories and many times have longevity and the workforce has been there a very long time. And Members of management cycle through there quite a bit. Generally speaking, that's been my experience working for four large global publicly traded companies. So there is a contingent in the workforce that is very resistant to what you're bringing in and the change and thinking, okay, hopefully we can outlast Kathy or hopefully we can outlast this initiative. It's happened to me every single place that I've gone at first, when I'm in a direct operations role. And I do believe that cultures can be changed. I also believe that 
I can only influence those within my sphere, right? <laughs> so there are sometimes conditions in companies that prevent things from being done the way you would want them to do if you were operating your own company. Financial stress, supply chain constraints, policies, or people in leadership positions who don't have the same philosophy that you do, right? Generally speaking, I feel like if you keep trying, you can make a difference in the culture in your sphere of influence. And many times that will go to other places, but you can't control whether it does or not. Yeah. And I would agree with Kathy. I don't think it's a fast shift because it takes time to build those relationships and trust. And that doesn't happen overnight. And you've got to show up as a leader in order to do that. And you've got to talk to the people and you've got to understand and learn from them what they do every day and how the business works. And in my experience, and Kathy's right, from the control you have in the plant that I was running, I did have that influence over that whole facility, which was great. And we did see over time, year over year, actually, the culture, they did a traditional like culture survey. And over year to year, our score improved dramatically. And we talked about, you know, what we were doing and why. And it really came down to that everything I've already discussed around communication, employee appreciation, engagement, empowerment, and all of those other terms that you use as an umbrella over the specifics that you're doing on a day-to-day basis and just showing up as a leader. And that takes time, but it can be done. I'm going to shift gears for a minute because I need to ask you before our time is up here, what is OP Sisters? Op Sisters? Go ahead, Kathy. So that is Shannon and my company. It's our collaboration and we are working with companies and individuals on coaching and training and we're writing for a lot of trade magazines to help spread the word about inclusive leadership and how it leads to results. So that's our company and that's who we founded our book through. Oh, okay. Got it. And so you're doing all kinds of speaking engagements and consulting in addition to the book. We are. Mm -hmm. We are. Now, what, before we tell our listeners where they can find the book, is there a message you want to share with our audience about the book? Like what would be like the one thing you want people to know about it and why it would be benefit them and their leadership capabilities in reading it? I think the one thing, well, I know Kathy and I share different opinions a little bit on, and we have a lot, I think we could say about why we want people to read the book. But I think from my perspective, I want people to see that although there may not be a significant amount of women in higher leadership roles, if we can do it, they can do it. And manufacturing and this sector and this world that we live in in manufacturing and in this industry, there's so much possibility and so many opportunities for people to use their unique talents and gifts and apply them at any level in the organization that, you know, like I said, if we can do it, they can do it. And we want to be inspiration for people to get into. There is a large gender gap still in this industry, and we want more women to get into it because it drives that diversity of thought that allows businesses to be inclusive and to have great business results. So that's my opinion, which isn't really one thing, I don't think. Emily, I'm sorry. (laughs) Yeah, when we were writing our story and we came back and looked at it in retrospect, 
it's really about relationships and facing the realities of where you are and including the people to make it better and get results. So it's a great business book for promoting inclusive leadership and positive cultures and healthy relationships. And those are not mutually exclusive from getting great business results. Well, I can't wait to read it. Where can our listeners find the book? So it's available on any major retailer. So rootledge.com, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, or you can go to our website, which is opsisters.com, O-P-S-I-S-T-E-R-S. And there's a link there as well that they can go and purchase the book as well as see our offerings that Kathy and I are putting together. Shannon Carrolls and Kathy Miller, authors of Steel Toes and Stilettos, thank you so much for joining us on the Hazard Girls podcast, sharing all about your book and inspiring our listeners with all the stories of the things that women can accomplish in these industries. We appreciate it so much. Thanks, Emily. You have been listening to the Hazard Girls podcast on Jacket Media, sponsored by Juno Jones, the stylish safety boot company. That's junojonesshoes.com. And you can go there to learn about our steel toe boots and to join the Hazard Girls community. I'm your host, Emily Salaby. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.